Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. So I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to continue um, on, really, we've turned this into a series on standing in the gap. And so um, Bill spoke last week about it. I spoke two weeks ago about it. I'm going to keep building off of it today. Um, standing in the gap, I'm going to give it to you today in the lens of the Christmas story. And so I want to look specifically today at Anna and Simeon and how they stood in the gap in their time, in their moment in human history as King Jesus was coming to bring salvation to the earth. So they had a specific assignment, and we're going to dig in a bit to that today. But before I do, I want to give like a little recap of, of kind of what we've been talking about with Standing in the Gap. Um, I opened the, the, this series up talking about Isaiah 59 and how even this idea of standing in the gap, it, it's been given to us, it's been imparted to us as something we're to live and operate in, but it's because Christ first did this for us. And so the very foundation of this principle of standing in the gap comes from Christ himself. God was in a, in a predicament, if you will, where sin had come into the world, where we have agreed with sin. Each and every one of you here has sin in your life. You were born into sin. You live in sin. And thus, each and every one of us have been separated from God by our sin. So the predicament is God saying, okay, I love these people. I desire these people. These are my people. But how can I be with them and that they've been stained by sin and we serve a perfect God? And so he looked for one, for a man who could come and stand in the gap to take the weight of our sin, to take the punishment of our sin, to cover us so that we could be one with him. And guess what? He found no man, not one, who could live a righteous life, who could be fully holy, who could be also a physical man on the earth to come and die in our place. And so God did what no man could do. He came himself. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, who was himself God, fully God and fully man. And he came and he became a sacrifice for our sin. This is the Christmas story that all of a sudden God, the image of God comes to earth in the form of a baby, Christ himself, the hope of glory, who would live a perfect life. He would come and shed his blood, break his body, be resurrected from the dead that you and I could come in continual fellowship with God, both now and all the days of our life. Jesus stood in the gap for you and for me. And so when he calls us to stand in the gap for others, when he calls us to stand in the gap for our nation, for our industry, for our friends, it's not that big of a deal in terms of he said, I did it. I modeled it. Now your turn. It makes it a lot easier. In fact, you can't love others if you don't know his love. You can't stand in the gap for others if you don't know he stood in the gap for you. So I want to start this message saying that because if you don't get that, you won't get anything I'm talking about this afternoon. Um, Jesus models standing in the gap. And then, as I said, he, he calls it, he asks us to do the same, to position ourselves in the gap for other people. Now, the gap that I'm talking about, the gap that I see in Scripture, is the gap between the realities of this earth. How does this earth look? What, what are the things shaping, taking place on this earth? Who rules this earth and what are they doing? And the realities of the kingdom of God, which are advancing on the earth, the purposes, the will, the desires of God that are manifesting. The kingdom is coming, but it's not fully come. And so in that gap between the realities of this world and where the kingdom is going, there you and I are called to stand. 
There you and I are called to pray. There you and I are called to die as Christ did in that gap that the purposes and plans of God will be manifest on the earth. Now, that's part of our calling. That's part of the DNA. Some people, they signed up for Jesus and they didn't realize this is part of the plan. But let me tell you, it's the plan. And if you're not engaged in the plan, your heart is going to be all over the place. You're going to feel maybe hopeless at times. You're going to feel purposelessness. You're going to experience a level of disappointment, of fear, because you're not actually walking in the DNA that your father gave you. We're made in the image of God. We're made like Christ to stand in the gap for others, for our nation, for the nations of the earth. And so it feels weird to not do it. Um, and and, and I, I want to encourage you today. Some of you are going to get a revelation today of the gap that you are called to stand in. And when you begin to do that, you're going to come alive because it's actually the very thing you were made to do. Recently, I went to a planetarium. Anybody ever been to a planetarium? We got planetarium lovers in the house. You know, about half. You know, planetariums aren't as big as they used to be, I guess. More than half, maybe a little more. Um, I hadn't been to one in 20 years, so I guess I'm not a great example. So I went and I took my kids. And a planetarium, you know, it's like a big bubble. And you go in this thing, and you're kind of in this lazy boy looking up. And there's a guy with a very monotone voice kind of giving directions. And uh, he's... He basically says, all right, I'm going to show you the night sky. We're in New Jersey. So here's what the night sky looks like right now in New Jersey. And so he paints the whole ceiling of the planetarium. And you're looking around, and he says, well, if you count these stars, there's about 2,000 stars you can see. Well, that's, this is really beautiful. This is really cool. And, uh, and then he says, but you know, actually, the night sky does not really look like that. That's just a little sliver of what the night sky really looks like. And so using, you know, the powers of the planetarium, they then, like, sort of shift the scene, and they show you what the night sky really looks like. And when they pull back the curtain, it's a million-plus stars. And, and, and you can literally see the Milky Way, which is, you know, the Milky Way galaxy. It's like this, this gorgeous painting that you're looking at. But this is how the sky really looks. This is how the night sky looks. But you and I, we don't see it that way. Now, why don't we see the night sky the way maybe Abraham would have seen it? Well, the reason we don't see it is because of light pollution. So the, the amount of light coming off of cities, coming off of your home, coming off of, you know, whatever, that light is reflecting off the sky, reflecting back to our eyes, and it's actually shielding us and blinding us to see the heavenly lights. See, the earthly lights, the, the, the things that are the lesser lights of the earth, are clouding our mind and our vision so we can't see the full depth of the lights that God has hung in the sky for you and for me. This is how life can feel. <laughs> this is how things, this is the reality of life on the earth. Sometimes we can get very caught up in the earthly lights and it blinds us from seeing the heavenly one. This is the reality that was going on in the time of Christ. When Christ was coming to the earth, he was the light of the world, the ultimate heavenly light coming down. And yet so many did not discern him, did not see him, were blinded by earthly lights, and they missed the coming of the heavenly light, the one who was going to bring the hope to the nations. That's the hope that we're talking about this morning. Turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. I'm going to talk briefly about this light. This is John writing about Jesus himself, and he says this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but what? The darkness did not comprehend it. 
If you skip down to John chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. They didn't even see the light of the world. They missed it. But how many of you know some didn't miss it? Some saw it. And it would behoove us to know how they saw it. They not only saw it, they stood in the gap for it to come and for it to manifest on the earth. Anna and Simeon, those are the ones I'm talking about. How did they discern the coming of the light of Christ, the coming Messiah? Well, I can tell you this. Jesus, I don't think he had a, like a halo, like a Shekinah glory thing around his head, which all the medieval art, if you go to the MoMA, you, you see they have the Shekinah glory Jesus. Oh, there he is. There's baby Jesus. But he didn't have, he didn't have that going on. He didn't have a royal procession. He wasn't a part of some like fancy, well-off family. In fact, Mary and Joseph are quite poor. We know this from the offering they gave at the temple. So he didn't have these demarcations to to point him out. But when Jesus comes into the temple with his parents, Simeon and Anna both recognize who he is. I mean, Simeon runs up and grabs him. How many of you know you need to get a prophetic word right when you're grabbing somebody's baby? <laughs> don't, don't do that, by the way. This is a Bible. This is very specific to Jesus. Um, but I want to propose to you, and I'm going to get to it today, that their understanding of scripture and their sensitivity to the spirit is what allowed them to see Christ when he came in the form of a little bitty baby. When others had no clue that the light had come, that the glory of God had returned to the very temple that it left so many years before. We're going to read through Luke 2 today. I just want to give a little context to the book of Luke. And um, it's, it's an important context. So the book of Luke is one of the first four books of the New Testament. You have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all explain the life of Jesus. Now, before the New Testament, you get the whole book of the Old Testament, which ends with one of my favorite books, the book of Malachi. So Malachi is an Old Testament book that is the final book of the series of the Old Testament. And these are some of the last things that we know God spoke to the prophet Malachi regarding Israel. So there is coming, in between the New Testament and the Old Testament, there is a gap of about 400 years where some would say that it, there was silence from God. Actually, the, if your kids are in children's ministry, we've been going doing our Bible timeline. And one of the things they say is, 400 years of silence. I, I, they, hear it, they sing it to me all the time. So they are learning about this. this, this they, don't, they don't sing it as good as I do, though. But they are learning about this reality. And I want to bring you into this context, which is important for Luke chapter 4, or Luke, the whole book of Luke. So Malachi is full of prophetic warnings and prophetic promises. It's very typical of a prophetic book. And so if you look at what Malachi is saying, he's warning Israel about things that they're presently doing, and that there's going to be judgment coming on them. There's going to be repercussions. Now, they've already been through a ton of judgment already. They're finally back in the land. The temple's built. The walls are built in, in Jerusalem. Things are looking good. But there are issues that are taking place in Israel, and he's calling them out. And here's what he says. He basically says, people, they've stopped looking for, for the Lord. They're not looking for him for hope. They're not looking for him for comfort. They're not fearing him. The priests are unfaithful to their wives. There's injustice in the land. They've wearied God. They're saying it's futile to serve the Lord. 
And all of this because people didn't honor God with their worship, nor did they honor him with their gifts. And so Malachi is bringing a strong rebuke against Israel. But at the same time, he's got woven in here these precious, incredible promises. Read the book of Malachi. It's a great Christmas book um, in that there's promises that are going to be, that are going to develop in the book of Luke and Matthew. And so if you read through Malachi, he says, you know what? All this is going on, but Israel, you're still chosen. I still chose you. And in fact, you're still called and you will bring the light of God to the nations of the earth. So he's fortifying their very existence is to bring the light to the nations, even though they're about to go through even more judgment and 400 years of silence. Now, if you check out Malachi 3, turn with me to Malachi 3, verse 1. Malachi 3, 1 says this. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. This is a massive promise. There's three components in here. First, Malachi is saying God will become known to the nations of the earth through Israel. It's going to happen through Israel, through somebody who's coming through Israel, and there is going to be a messenger that's going to prepare the way. Now, how many know that person was John the Baptist? And we find this early in the book of Luke. John the Baptist is that person. The angel itself comes down and says, Malachi 3.1 is happening right now, and it's John the Baptist. But lastly and most importantly, the Messiah, God himself, the God of the covenant, who you desire, will come to the temple. This is going to happen. A massive promise dropped right in the middle of tons of warnings and prophetic challenges. So Malachi releases this word, right? And as I said, the nation continues on and there's 400 years of silence. Let me just tell you the things that are happening in these 400 years. It's not good. Israel is occupied by the Greeks, eventually the Romans, their temple, which they got back, it's now been desecrated multiple times. There's civil wars. There's infighting all throughout Israel. And by the way, there's no recorded prophetic voice for that 400 years. So it's like God went silent on his people. So all they have right now is Malachi and everything that preceded it in the Old Testament. And they're just hanging on for hope. 400 years. This is the gap in which Anna and Simeon and all those in Jerusalem at that time were standing in. 400 years ago, the, the pilgrims were on the Mayflower coming to America. 400 years ago, the Dutch bought New York City for $24. Good deal. 400 years is a long period of waiting. What do you think happened in the people of Israel in their hearts during that prolonged waiting. What do you think that does to somebody's heart and their mind? What happens in your life when you have to wait? And I bet you haven't waited 400 years, but you may have waited for that Uber an extra 30 minutes. <laughs> but you may have waited for some things for years, for decades maybe. How did that impact your heart? How did that impact your mind? 
How did you persevere in the midst of your waiting? This is what Israel had to do for 400 years. Now, if we get to the book of Luke, all of a sudden, the time of waiting has ended. And God comes in with a massive splash in the most unexpected way imaginable. So this whole storyline opens up with an angel appearing to Zechariah. And the angel shows up, and Zechariah freaks out, as anyone would. And the angel starts to prophesy and declare Malachi 3.1 is coming forth. And it's coming forth from your wife, Elizabeth. She's going to bear a son, John the Baptist. And he's coming. And so from there, things continue to snowball in the best way. An angel comes to Joseph. An angel comes to Mary. And there's proclamation. The Christ is coming in. The light of the world is about to break into this dark, dark place. Continuing, Anna, Simeon, they get revelation, divine understanding that this baby that they see in the temple is Christ himself, the hope of glory, the waiting, the Messiah that they've so long waited for. Now, it's interesting that in each of these individuals, Mary, Zechariah, even the angels, now Simeon and Anna, they're crying out in extravagant praise. Because they've been waiting 400 years. Because this is a culmination of all of history is in this very moment. You know, we get so familiar with these story, And we don't realize the waiting and the prayer and the blood and the sweat and the tears that led to this very moment. God breaking through the earth with a divine man who's fully God and fully man to restore and bring salvation. Not only to Israel, but to the nations of the earth. This is what we're celebrating. This is the reality of Christmas. And so turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And I want, you to, I want us to read together the, the encounter that Simeon has with Christ himself in the temple. So it says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word consolation also means comfort. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of, catch this, all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. This was not just a general revelation. This was not just a, a, a little light bulb. This is the biggest light bulb you could possibly have. And it's hanging over Simeon's head and his mind. 
And I would propose to you the reason that he had that understanding is he knew the word of God. He had the scriptures in his heart. He'd set his mind, say, I want to see what God said. God said he's going to comfort Israel. He said it over and over and over again. He's reading the book of Isaiah. Saying, over and over, God said, I will come and comfort you. I will come and be with you. I will come and die for you. I will come and send a suffering servant right in the midst of you. And so he's reading this and meditating on this. And when Jesus comes in, the Holy Spirit then puts a spotlight on this little baby. That's the one. That's what you've been waiting on. And I don't think if he had either things, he would recognize Christ. If he didn't have the scriptures, I don't think he would have recognized Jesus. If he didn't have the Holy Spirit's leadership, I don't think he would have recognized that this baby was the Messiah. But he had both. And he acknowledged in that moment, this is the Christ. It says that Simeon lived a righteous and devoted life. I think that's a big factor here. If you want to stand in the gap, you need the the word of God, you need the spirit of God, you need to also live a righteous and devoted life. That's how Simeon discerned the season and actually stood in the gap and fulfilled the purposes of God for his life. And he must have been old. I, I don't know how old this guy is, but he's about to die. He's like, praise God, now I can die in peace. So you're talking about an old man that had been waiting a long time for this. And lo and behold, God honors him by revealing it to him and letting him hold God himself. Can you imagine? You're holding the God of the universe. What a privilege. What an honor. The honor of living a righteous and devout life. The honor of seeking God through the scriptures and by the spirit. God, would, would we do that all the days of our life just as Simeon did? If we keep reading on, I'm going to go to Luke 2, verse 33. So I'm just reading in the next section. It says this. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. A heavy word. But Simeon is part of his assignment, I really believe, and part of his, his standing in the gap is to bring this encouragement to this young couple. I mean, Mary's a teenager. To bring this encouragement, and it says they marveled at his words. They marveled at the, the understanding or the, 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 the storyline that their little son, Jesus, was about to uncover and unpack. And so he brought a marveling, and it says he brought a blessing to Mary. But he also brought a warning. We need spiritual moms and dads in this hour we need these are elderly people Simeon and Anna and they're speaking to very young people Mary and Joseph and they're bringing both encouragement and also warnings so that they may fulfill the call of God on their life that they may stand in the gap and do their part to bring forth Christ and and raise him into the world that he's about to transform and so this warning and really like scholars believe this sword he's talking about that would pierce her soul It's really about the grief of a mother. It's really saying, you're doing this amazing assignment. You will be blessed, but it will cut you to the heart. You have to see your son go through pain, go through suffering, and go through death. And so even with, I think young people in our generation, we we sell them a bit short when we tell them, come to Christ for all the benefits. There is 
extravagant benefits in Christ. But how many you know some of those benefits you will not ascertain in this life? And there will be great cost and great pain that come into your life because you chose to follow Jesus. Now, that cost is worth every single bit. Just like Jesus, his pain and his blood was worth every drop because he got you and me. But when we follow Christ, there will be division that comes just by acknowledging his name. And some of you that are newer in the faith, you found this out real quick, right? You come to Christ and everybody here loves you. And you go in your office, you try to proclaim Christ. You try to love other people the way Christ has called you to do. And they want to run you out of town. They don't like it. They don't like that you're saying there's one and only God and his name is Jesus. And he came and died for you. They're like, shut up. I don't want to hear you're one only God. Like, I've got my own God. I don't. Jesus is a divisive figure. Let's just be honest. But we come in love, not division. But it's Christ himself that will bring division of hearts and minds. And, and he, really, he's probably quoting here Isaiah 8. is probably what Zechariah is quoting here, Isaiah 8, 14, that Jesus will be the stone that others stumble over, the rock that makes them fall. So let's not kid ourselves. This message is offensive to some, and it will bring division, and it will cost you much. But it's worth every bit of your life. Simeon is standing in the gap. He's encouraging these, this young, precious couple. And, and interestingly enough, you know, I think there's, there's just, it's so important in this season that you have older individuals to encourage and speak into your life, that you have mothers and fathers in the faith, because you are way less likely to run the race with, with, with their, when there's just peers speaking into your life. You're way less likely to get a warning type of word from a peer. But a mother and father, they've been through the grind, and, and they may have a prophetic un- inclination on what you're going to face. So they can speak into that place to prepare you when that comes so that you'll remain in your gap. I, I'm very much focused on young people, Gen Z, and also younger because I have three little ones. Uh, my daughter Fern is eight and Lilu's six, and then I have my daughter Floey who's three. And interestingly enough, you know, each of them have different callings and purposes on their life. And some of them I've, I understand on some level and some I'm sure I'll grow in. My daughter Lilu is very prophetic. She has this prophetic calling on her life. And I've seen that even from when she was a little bitty baby. And so I remember as a few years back, um, we we're all sitting around the breakfast table. So we just woken up um, from, from the night. And sometimes we'll share our dreams. And Lilu comes and she's sharing. She doesn't always share. She, she has the most profound dreams and she has the darkest dreams. I mean, you know, that's what prophetic people kind of deal with regularly. And, and so I always like to encourage her when she shares dreams with me. So she shared a dream, and it was very powerful. I, I forget this particular one. But I said, Leo, that, that was God. Like, that was God speaking to you. This is part of your prophetic gift of your life. I'm so glad you shared it with me. And Fern's sitting there beside me at the breakfast table, and she says, did you just say Lilu was a prophet? I said, yeah, she's a, she's a prophet. She said, you don't look like a prophet. <laughs> I, I said, okay, okay. Well, she's only three years old. Says, I've seen prophets. She doesn't look like a prophet. She said, do prophets wear reindeer pajamas? <laughs> I said, all right. Apparently, this three-year-old prophet does wear reindeer. She's wearing reindeer pajamas at the time. So my point being, you don't, need, you don't really want to appear to be the one speaking your identity, speaking life into you. And so many children, young people, that peers are the greatest influence in their life. That is a shame. Like, like, peers should not be the person telling you who you are. 
We need spiritual moms and dads telling you who you are, encouraging you, giving you prophetic words that aren't just milk toast. Sometimes they're hard words, but they're warnings. And there's also promises in what they're sharing so you can run the race. We need it so badly, and I think it's how we stay in the gap that God has called us to. I want to turn now to Anna. So let's turn to, we're going to keep reading, Luke 2, verse 36. Um, and here we're going to learn about Anna. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. So mind you, scholars have a few have a little debate here, but at minimum, she's 84 years old. She might even be older compared to how you read the text. And she probably got married at 14, which means if her husband died seven years later, she was 21. That means she's been praying and fasting for 63 years. This is the commitment and devotion that Anna had. This is the measure. Think of the measure of hope it would take to realign your life for 63 years to stay in the temple and just to fast and pray for the coming kingdom. That is, it's a massive sacrifice, but it's like, what, what in the world did she understand from the scriptures, right? All she had was the Old Testament. She doesn't have the books of the Bible we have now. She doesn't have the experiences we have now. She doesn't have like the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. She doesn't have the Spirit of God living in her. She hasn't seen signs and wonders and healings and deliverances. She's been living in the time of silence with a few books of the Bible open in front of her. But something, God was birthing something in her, and she gave herself fully to it. Some of you, we're in a different gap. So I'm talking about the gap that Anna and Simeon were in, right? The gap between between Christ actually coming to the earth. We're in a gap between Christ now coming and now him returning to the earth. Some of you, you need revelation knowledge that he is returning so you can give yourself in the same way Anna did, to prayer, to fasting. Even as we're singing today, there's, there's a, we're making ourselves ready for a bride who's coming. Lord, that that would be our posture of our prayer and our life. And, and, and so in Anna, it manifests itself through prayer and fasting. And I think that, that all of us, it would manifest in some way. Not that you need to stay here and pray and fast for 63 years. But I, I do think there is an element of this. There, there's principles in this for each of us to take a hold of. Um, so Anna, th this is her response for 63 years. And not only was she a prophet, as it says, she was an intercessor. This is what she did with her time. And as a community, I want to just speak to our community briefly. We are a prophetic community, and we are an intercessory community. We, we intercede and we pray for the city, for the needs of the entire city, and for, the, and for what God wants to do on the earth. And we prophesy. We ask God to give us divine inspiration through his word and even on an individual level for others. That, those two, that's dynamite when you put those together. But honestly, I want more prophets who are intercessors. I want more intercessors who are prophets. Like, I want a merger of the two. And I believe this house is supposed to hold those two very closely together. And I believe that is why Anna herself had such discernment in the hour of Christ coming to the earth. So for those of you that are prophetic, I really challenge you, beef up that intercessory side if you have it. For those of you that are intercessors, pursue the prophetic gifting because they're supposed to work in tandem. And it's very important for what God wants to bring in our day, in our time. Now, Anna is very much thriving, right? She's super old. She's at least 84. Some think she might be 100 plus, and I won't get into that. But either way, she's very old. 
but she's vibrant. Like this lady is, is, is connected. She's, she's fire. She's understanding what's happening, and she's right in the middle of it all. I think there's a secret here for those of you that are older and for all of us because we're all getting older. If you didn't know. Um, there's a secret as we age in life to uh, that what Anna's doing. She's not looking back, right? As you get older, you have more memories. There's more opportunity. Oh, remember those good old days. Remember what God did. Remember this. But she is looking ahead. Her prophecies and her, and her hope in those prophecies, her faith in them, are stronger than her memories. And in a season of waiting, in 400 years of waiting, you better have stronger prophecies than memories. Because if your memories are driving you, you're not going to be driven. Like the measure of faith it would have taken somebody in that day and age to believe God is so much higher than it would take you and I to believe God. But we need to pray that God would give us that type of faith for the hour we live in. That we wouldn't be driven by our circumstances, by the things we see, but that we'd be driven by the word of God, the promises of God, which we can rest assured will come to pass. Anna and Simeon, they knew it. They had faith for it, and they believed for it. And in fact, they tethered, they tethered their lives to these promises. Don't you see that? Like, like her whole life, Simeon's whole life was tethered to the redemption of Israel. We would do well to tether ourselves to promises, to hope, talking about hope today, to hope in things that are way bigger than us, that are the promises of God for our generation, for our city, for the nations of the earth. Those are the type of things that we need to put our hope in. In our current culture, it's a very me, 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 I, 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 like this is the culture we live in. And even our, our, our prophecies and our hope have become me, 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 I, 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 my thing. My thing. That, so when we, we even say the term stand in the gap, we think of standing in the gap for our personal victories. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. And if you've got places and areas where you need somebody to stand with you, you've got jobs that are necessary, you've got spouses that you, got, you, know, that, that you want to marry, like, like you need to come and be honest with people here because we will stand with you for that. I'm not downplaying that. I'm saying that's not what your hope or your anchor is. Your hope and your anchor is far beyond that. Your hope and your anchor is in something that will, it will never run out in your lifetime. It's the purposes and promises of God. It's the kingdom of God coming to earth. It's Christ's return on the earth. That is where we tether our lives. That is the compass in which our lives point to. What is the compass? What, are you, what is the direction that your life is driven by? What's the compass you're holding? You know, I think some of us, our compass can be, it's really circumstances. Like if things go weary, all of a sudden, whoa, like our compass sort of changes directions, right? Oh, it's election season. Oh, better look out. It's going to be bad. No, like my compass, my direction, the driver of my life is not election season. It's Christ. It's what he's, it's his return on the earth. That's what he's, that's the appetite. That's what he's serving. That's what he's desiring that we hunger for. And so that is our, the other thing that can be our compass, right, is even just that next thing, right? Like, what's that next thing that's really exciting? Like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to this thing. I'm going to go to the Philippines, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, meet this girl or do this thing. Like, that becomes, like, this daily compass. And we wonder why our hope runs out. Well, you put your hope in something that is, like, six steps in front of you instead of putting your hope in the eternal God. Like, that is not going to let you down. That person or that situation or that event, it's not going to, that conference isn't going to be as good as you thought. That girl's not going to be as fun as you thought. Those, those things are not going to be what you thought. But you can stay the race. Maybe you should go on a second date. Maybe you should go on a third date if you're anchored in Christ. Yeah, I tried to save myself there. <laughs> Thrive team, come up here. Help me, please. <laughs> so my point is we need to be careful that we don't stand in the gap for lesser things. Like stand in the gap for things that are personal, but don't make that your primary function. 
The goal of your life has to be bigger than your career. It's got to be bigger than your company. It's got to be bigger than your ministry. It's got to be bigger than your church. It's got to be bigger than the stream of church that you run in. It's got to be bigger even than your family, than your spouse, and than your kids. It's got to be bigger. It's got to be kingdom. When, you are, when, when the kingdom of God advancing on the earth is the thing you're tethered to, is the compass of your life, you will play whatever part God wants you to play, and you will play it joyfully and humbly. You will do the, the 63 years of prayer and fasting because you're just like, God, I'll play whatever part. I, if i got to play a fiddle, I'll, play, I'll learn the fiddle. You want me to play the drums? I'll play the drums. You want me to sing backup? I'll sing backup. Like, that is the posture that each of us have to have to walk in this continual hope and this continual joy. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm preaching this to you because I'm going through this in my personal life. Like, I'm in a place in my life where God's just like, you can't hold on to any of that. Like, if you want to be, if you want to be kingdom minded, if you want to walk with me, all that has to be on the table. And it's terrifying to me, to be honest. Like, I'm just like, God, like, like, I, and it's not this terror of like, God's going to take or do something bad to me. It's this terror of like, wow, I have to trust you and not put my confidence and hope in anything less. So it, it's a peaceful type of, terror is a strong word. It's a peaceful type of posture, but it's one that God give us rooted and get us ready for you are coming and we want to play our part. Amen. You know, I can remember, um, this was years ago, but this is, it, it really influenced me. My, my grandfather on his deathbed, we all came to be near him. And when people die, there's always like just, like God just moves and does things in your midst. And, and so I remember being with him. This was like the last day before he passed. And, and it really was like the spirit of God came on me. It was weird. And, and I was just like sharing my life with him, sharing my appreciation for him. And then I began to prophesy about my own life over him. And I said, Granddad, like, thank you for what you did. Know this, I'm going to see a move of God in my lifetime unlike you've ever seen. I'm going to see a revival in New York City unlike you could have never imagined. And I said it with such confidence and such conviction that it surprised myself. I said, well, am I fooling myself? Like, like I, do I really believe that? It, it was that strong of a, of a conviction. But I believe it with all my heart that, that God is moving in the nations of the earth. If he's moving and he's shining bright, even as Christ has come and now the spirit of God is advancing to all nations, we should expect a move of God that is unprecedented in this city. Because guess what? The nations are in our midst. There's more nations in New York City than, than, than anywhere else on the planet. And if God's going to go to the nations, the Gentiles, and then go to Israel, well, guess what? There's more Jewish men and women in this city than anywhere else outside of Israel itself. So we should expect a move of God that is of extravagant proportion. And you and I, as long as you're here in the city, we're called to pray into this. We're called to believe. We're called to do the Simeon and the Anna thing. God, your word says that you are coming for the nations of the earth so that all will hear you and then Christ will come. And then the, the, all of the Jewish nation will come in. Your word says that. I'm going to pray it and believe it till my very dying day. And if I see it, praise God. And even if I don't, I know I'm a part of this prophetic storyline that you've invited me in to partner with you because you want me to be a part of this. This is not just this idea to say sovereignly, God will sovereignly do it. He probably will, but he wants you and I to partner with him because this is why he designed us to stand in the gap, a bigger gap, not just the little ones, the biggest one that Christ would come and rule and reign on the earth. Now, I want to just hit on this before I close. Anna, she says this, which I find very interesting. So Anna, who goes from an intercessor and a prophet, she all of a sudden becomes an evangelist in Luke 
38. And she says this. It says, coming up to them at that moment, I don't even know if I read this part, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to what? To all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So now that Christ himself has come, she's like activated into this evangelist, it feels like, and she's now sharing to, but only to who? To those who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. It doesn't say she went and told everybody. It says she told those people who were looking, who were waiting, who were asking. I think there's a real, there's a real, um, what's the word? It's sad to me. It's very sad. One of the saddest things in life are those that, and there's many in this city that fit this bill, and some of you in here probably fit the bill, to be honest. The, the saddest thing that I know of, or one of the saddest things, are those that have all their needs met in this world, seemingly, seemingly that there's no need for redemption in your life. You've got, you know, you've got money, you've got family, you've got, or at least you think you have everything you need, when really you're totally spiritually bankrupt. When really you're really depending on your own righteousness and your good behavior to get you right with God. I'm telling you, that's not going to work. You're spiritually bankrupt. If you don't have Christ, if you're in this room and you do not have Christ, I'm telling you, you have no intercessor. You have nobody to stand in the gap for you. And no matter how great you live your life, no matter how many good things you do for people, no matter how kind and generous you are, you will not measure up. You will not be with God. You need an intercessor. You need Jesus Christ. And, and, and the sad thing is for me, in a nation like ours, right, where there's so many blessings, it can become such, such a hindrance to our recognizing our need. I mean, there's, you all, there's so many unreached people in your jobs, in your companies. They, 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 are, they are wealthy, and they're doing well in life, and they have no idea how spiritually bankrupt they truly are. But one of these days, the carpet's going to come up from under them, and they're going to recognize they need God. They need a Savior and the only Savior that exists to save them is Christ himself, the hope of glory. Worship team, could you guys come on up for me, please? I want to ask a few questions of you today. We're about to close. Are you looking for the light of the world to return in the person of Jesus? Are you looking for that? Is that, is that something you think about? Is that something you, you ponder? Is that something you, you hope for? Do you know what the scriptures say about Christ's return, about our, your and my engagement and our participation in that? Do you yearn for Christ to shine in the nations of the earth? What is your level of hope and expectation for this? And are you standing in the gap that you've been called to? I want to challenge those, and I'm, I'm challenging myself with the same questions because that's what friends do. That's what the family of God does. We, we call each other into our, our purpose, into the high call of Christ for our life. And so I, I really, I feel like it's a really sober moment because it's really important that we check these questions before the Lord, that when you leave this place, you're actively seeking these things in your life. And you're saying, God, I don't want to miss my gap. I want to stand in the place you've called me to. I want to walk in the way you've called me to walk. I want to serve and do anything I can to bring you forth your kingdom in the earth. I want to give you two real practical ways as I close to do this. And I've mentioned both of them already. We see in this story the coming together of the young and the old. 
That is part of the story of Simeon and Anna. That's part of the Christmas story, in fact, is old and young coming together to do the works of the kingdom, to stand in the gap. And so I want to encourage you to do that for one another. Be a father. Be a mother. This is great timing. (laughs) Take care of these little ones. Like, seriously, they need leadership. They need guidance. They need your love, your unconditional love and support. Because they're getting it from peers. They're getting it from all the wrong places. But God has called us to stand in the gap for the younger ones, for the little ones, to be mentors, to disciple. And there's a connection here in this story and in our story as a church between the young and the old. The last thing I'll say, there's also a coming together in this story of the word and the spirit. And this is essential for standing in the gap as well. Now, even the fact that that Mary and Joseph were at the temple, what were they even doing there? Why were they there? They were there because they were obeying the law. They were obeying the word of God that said, go and take your child to be consecrated in the temple. Now, why were Simeon and Anna there? Well, Anna was there all the time, so I guess that's kind of why. But Simeon was led by the Holy Spirit to that place. See, in the temple, the Spirit and the Word came together. The old and the young came together for the plans and purposes of God to stand in the gap for that generation for what God wanted to do. We've got rich revelation in this Word. We understand We can understand and discern the times and seasons we live in, but we're willing to stand in the gap. When we bring together the young and the old, when we bring together the word and the spirit, we will do that. I want to challenge some of you. You're very spiritually sensitive, but you are dull in the scriptures. You you can hear God, and you can, like, give a prophetic word, and bam. But do you actually, like, see the big picture? Can you actually, like record the biblical narrative of why you exist and and what you're doing in this place. That will keep you on course. And for some of you, you're very scripturally sound, but you're dull in the spirit. You could could tell tell us here, like, all the biblical narratives, and, and you could recite scriptures after scripture. But did you hear what the Lord said this morning? Are you hearing where he's leading tomorrow? Are you empowered by the spirit to do the things that you read in the scriptures? We have to bring those together. And God, by his grace and by this community, He's going to bring those things together. He's going to give us, he's going to fill in our weak weak spots, our gaps, as we pursue filling the larger gap together. Amen. Everybody stand for me, please. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.